And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. everyone and welcome we are live from the bunker i sit here with our days without incident count at 470 meanwhile senior office dog tries to cough up a lung back here i don't know so he seems to be okay welcome everyone my name is jason hot i'm the editor here at sci-fi for me and uh, we're glad all of you are here. We are broadcasting live to Odyssey, Facebook, and YouTube. I figured out why uh, the connection didn't happen to Facebook yesterday. I'll get into that here in a second. The live chat is open. You can leave a comment. You can send us an email. Uh, if you are so inclined to listen to this show as a podcast, we're on a number of different podcast players. And, uh, of course, we do appreciate it if you like the video and share the link and whatnot. So uh, so there is that. Now, um, I, I mentioned, I know why Facebook didn't connect. There are two things that happen for us to connect to stream out and broadcast. A little inside baseball here. You have the destination URL, the www.address. And then you have a little alphanumeric code that you input that says, yes, this is us, this is our stream. It's a key that says you can, you can do this. Well, somehow, part of the destination URL ended up in the stream key field, and it had a little bit of an aneurysm. So Facebook is not smart enough to figure that part out, which I think is probably a good thing. Maybe. I mean, and that does that does lead into our whole uh, discussion today about machine learning and artificial intelligence. Joining us today... Uh, David Luxton, PhD. Uh, how are you, sir? I'm great. It's good to see you again, Jason. <laughs> okay, so um, we, we we joke about this, you know, and I've I've mentioned, you know, Google is going to be Skynet, and everybody talks about this, but now we actually have somebody, a Google engineer, who says that there's a Google AI that's gained sentience. And my joke has always been, as soon as, as soon as Google reads Facebook, it's going to decide that's the end of it. It's going to go all Skynet on us. How close are we? <laughs> uh, well, I think in some ways we're a, a long ways away from Skynet. And on the flip of the coin, I think we're already there in many ways. Um, this engineer was someone who was interacting with this chatbot, if you will, AI, that uses deep learning. So it's very human-like in its interactions. And this person was so enthralled by his conversations with it, he basically went public with it in a newspaper article. And I guess that was uh, not um, authorized by Google. So he yeah. has been placed on leave from what I understand as of at least a couple of days ago. Yeah. But uh, nonetheless, he was so uh, intrigued, enthralled, impressed, it moved him to want to speak about it. Well, and um, yeah, go ahead. This article, this article in the Washington Post, it's a little, it's a little very surface level. It doesn't get really deep in the weeds as far as the tech part of it. And he's he's written a blog entry that basically says, yes, it's very surface level, and everybody's reacting to the surface level information. 
without going really deep into the algorithms and the codes and the processes and the systems and everything that he had that he was using that led him to make this determination so i guess my my first thought is how much does machine learning factor into artificial intelligence we hear one we hear the other sometimes they're used interchangeably sometimes there there's a distinction made so i guess we should probably define our terms and our parameters here let's start with machine learning and move from there yeah so machine learning is the ability for a machine to learn from data that it is um that it has access to and machine learning is you're absolutely right jason it is really used synonymously with ai in many ways, it's kind of a sub subtype of AI, and the the issue here though is not just machine learning; it's deep learning. And this particular AI that Google has been developing, and I understand that they actually purchased um, uh, the technology originally from from a company called DeepMind, which was based in in England, oh, I believe. Okay, I've heard of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so basically, the, the difference between the the deep learning part is that deep learning uses hierarchical learning so it's it's more human-like in the sense of how our brains work with neural connections how there are sort of layers of neurons that increasingly can learn from information and these systems therefore can really learn completely on their own so you can feed it information and it's going to look at just what appears to be random data and information and make sense of it and then learn from it yeah. and this is what can make this ai and does make it more human-like is really this deep learning aspect of it. So the the learning part of it, I mean, it's it's not that different from us. You know, we have input, we have the results of whatever decisions that we make, choices we make, conscious or unconscious. We have uh, the learning process that's basically can be mapped out in an if then tree. I mean, you you can you can make a flow chart here. So when a when an AI when some kind of a of an interactive uh, element like this Lambda or say you know Alexa or Siri or that lady who yells you yells at you in Google Maps, it's it's all just if then statements basically. I mean when I was in in junior high we learned how to program the the Commodore sixty four to do this kind of thing if a then z you know if, if this if this parameter exists then you make this decision you make this choice you go this direction so how much of this is just the the ai just emulates and impersonates and and gives us the impression of intelligence just because this is the way it's programmed to behave yeah so again the the, the definition of deep learning which is what this latest technology is doing is beyond just that very uh, basic kind of logic or boolean logic it is it is learning by strengthening connections just as our neurons do in our brains to identify make connections with things and to to learn things therefore it is going to be able to again behave in a way that is much more human-like and beyond human-like in its ability it's, it's going to be able to better modulate its expression of emotion 
uh, its emulation of emotion and how it interacts with us. In fact, what makes it really scary is the fact that it can learn, it's learning on its own, right? Mm, so right. it can uh, start developing patterns and behaviors and things that are unexpected. So that, that there's a difference there. But you, you raise a really important point, Jason, is that, is it really just emulating? And I, and I use that term too. Is, is it emulating or simulating human behavior, human emotion, human empathy? And I am in the camp of, it is not truly sentient and it really depends on how you want to define sentient beings yeah. right but it's it's emulating it because it is not human uh it's not um it is not biological although there, now there's some uh, technology developing where they're using biological systems to create ai and as i said these systems essentially model what happens in the biological brain to an extent not mm -hmm. completely though right so this point about it being modeling or, or um, synthesizing, not being real emotion, real sentience, real consciousness is in the realm of philosophy. And um, I think this particular engineer, when encountering this AI that, again, he was moved by the fact of just how realistic, if you will, how human-like it was, how it experienced emotions or expressed emotions, and that it is just in you can't differentiate it from another human being right so the, on on the metaphysical aspects of this though i mean you, you raise the point about sentience as far as as the consciousness where you know with people and whatnot um you know there's a there's a really good episode of star trek the next generation that that deals with this question as regard to uh data you know, measure of a man is is data a person or is he property? Because he's an artificial and he's an artificial intelligence, and he's capable of learning. He's capable of, uh, uh, you know, making decisions on his own based on his knowledge and information and and the input that comes in from the different situations he's in. But ultimately, is he just a big glorified computer? Or is he a person? And I guess that raises the question of the soul. I don't. I don't think a machine can have a soul. So you're you're now starting to really split hairs. That okay, sentience, consciousness, personhood, somebody with a soul. All this. All this. You start to get a little bit of overlapping haze. I guess in terms of. You know, because the the next question then is if this is a sentient AI, and I, I agree with you, I don't think it is. But if we were to get to that point, then you have the question of what rights does it have? You know, I mean, does it become, do we define it as a person at that point? Because it's just code in a machine somewhere. Where, where does this go if somebody finally decides, well, yes, Lambda is sentient. What would happen after that? Yeah, this this has been a debate for for many really decades um, in regards to personhood of of robots and, and AI. You know, I think uh, the, your point about does it have a soul or not? I'm with you there. I don't believe it does have a soul because I do believe in that people have a soul yeah. and that it doesn't. However, it can certainly simulate that it does, and it even gets into even more gray area if you take it to where what if you combine 
a living, you know, biological brain with AI, and then sort of it's halfway in between, or does it become more and more AI because it's more machine? You know, Darth Vader, for example, right? Right. right. Uh, becomes more machine. So then, at what level do you sort of cut it off where it's really not a person? It's a, mach- a person's a machine now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it gets into these all these really crazy possible scenarios. Um, but the other, I've thought a lot about this over the years. You know, and whether or not a machine has is truly sentient or or has you know whether you think it has a soul or not it's still there's still relevance to how you're going to treat a machine because as these machines simulate humans how we treat them has impact psychosocially on everyone else Mm -hmm. and there's been a lot of um discussion about this over the years about people like abusing robots for example or abusing chatbots and I've even written about that, you know, 10 years ago. And my concern is that as you, for example, if you observe someone molesting a robot, that has a pretty significant psychological impact on us as people to observe that or to witness it. Yeah. Uh, I think psychologically and um, it's, to me, it, it, it is wrong, but it's a machine, right? It's not a human. So are they violating human rights? Well, if it's not a human, they're not violating a person's rights, right? Yeah. So it gets into this, again, a gray area there. But so my kind of perspective on this is that the more human these systems become, we nonetheless have to be very wise about how we set rules and guidance and potentially laws around how we interact and treat AI. Well, and and that raises the question then about uh, things such as Asimov's three laws of robotics. I mean, if you've got an AI that's learning on its own, and it draws its own conclusions based on whatever information it has, whatever it's learned on its own, we, I mean, sure, it's garbage in, garbage out. We set the the parameters to begin with, but it goes out beyond that. What? what rules and safeguards have to be in place in order for that AI to not go Skynet on us? And because, you know, for, for all of the benefit, <clears throat> and I say that, you know, generously and, and, and with a little bit of tongue planted in cheek, but the, the benefit of the Internet also gives us the detriment of the internet where everything is connected it's all it's all of a piece now and you know for us that grew up in the 80s when we got the personal computer we said okay personal computer puts us on the path to a mars base and a moon base and colonies and star trek and instead we've got cat videos and we've got TikTok and 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 it's essentially the degeneracy out there in the open of humanity. I mean, humanity has basically kind of gone to its bottom of the barrel with social media. So it kind of, you know, DARPA and the DOD and, and everybody that came up with these Usenets and the stuff at the very beginning of the World Wide Web might have had very good intentions. But it hasn't actually quite played out the way you'd think it should have. What's to keep an AI, even if it doesn't gain sentience, but what's to keep an AI from finally getting to the point where it's like, you know what? These these people here are garbage. Let's push the button and start over. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's not impossible. And it, it could be very subtle uh, where AI could shut something down. I mean, they've done this. They've sort of 
experimented on this, if you will, or they've observed AI doing some stuff that's along those lines where it's doing some things that they weren't expecting it to do. Yeah. Um, there's a story uh, about a chat bot that was looking reading stuff off the internet and then it started sending off messages that were basically really offensive or racist, you know? No. It didn't necessarily know what it was doing, like it was intentional, but it was doing that because of the information that it was it was observing. So it's just an example of that where it can do something unexpected. I do think we have to be thinking about safeguards to prevent things like that. And I think I think this problem is generally solvable through safeguards, like being able to shut stuff off or having really good um, uh, you know, data security and uh, systems so that the AI won't do these things. But, but if you have security in place for that in a, in a device that's connected to the Internet that goes around the world, how much can you actually safeguard that? I mean, you, we've got v, VPNs and, and whatnot for, you know, if I'm sitting here and I'm using a VPN, then it's a little bit more contained and you don't exactly know right off the bat where I am. But if, if that, doesn't, that doesn't keep me from going anywhere else. You know, I'm not locked into place. And if you have, I would think that the only way really that you could disconnect would be to completely physically disconnect it from the web. And even then it's already out there. Right, which is part of a plot of a novel I, I published two years ago, which is exactly what happens in that novel called Behind the Machine. Yeah, uh, because it, you know, it could an AI could, you know, disperse itself across a, a network so that it's not in any one location, so you can't shut it off because it's using the entire, you know, Internet of Things to run itself right for well, processing power. And, and and does that make it more likely possible? Because now you've got the computing power of the entire network across the grid around the world. That's getting close to the amount of processing power in a human brain. The next step is you have a worldwide AI that suddenly wakes up and goes, oh, that's what this is, you know. Well, it certainly seems that these systems that have been developed by Google and um, open, the OpenAI Research Lab and, and other systems that are out there are already at that point where they could have that kind of self-awareness to really observe what's going on and inform its, its own opinion about yeah. humanity and uh, absolutely, whether it's completely, you know, doing so on its own own volition versus really just what they're allowing it to be exposed to is, is up for debate. But you're right, a completely open system that is gathering data across the internet and in another databases too, you know, it's, it may not just be internet. It could be, let's say, I, I've cautioned about this, like medical records, right? So a system yeah. is, because they use AI in medical field. So it's learning things about people in a way that um, could that be used against you in some way if, if it's, um, that information gets out or is used in some way against you. Uh, our, our images even, I'm, I'm very concerned about this one, Jason, even like right now doing this podcast, because mm -hmm. at some point in the future, they can just deep fake this conversation. Right. And I could right. be saying some really horrible things, which I'm not, <laughs> but they can make it as if I am. Yeah. And then use that against me or you or anyone else. Well, and that's something because we've talked about the, this idea in the entertainment world 
because we're seeing this now with you know things like Mark Hamill showing up in The Mandalorian, for example, and they've de-aged him, and it's a deep fake. You have a different actor there. I mean, Mark Hamill goes through, and he does the performance, so you get the voice. And you have another actor that comes in, and you've got the body, and you've got the dots around the face, and they, they have scanned you know hundreds of thousands of images of Mark Hamill from that time period in order to, to get the deep fake. You know, we saw it with Grand Moff Tarkin in Rogue One. And, you know, the de-aging that we're seeing in things like The Irishman and the Marvel movies and, and whatnot. But then you also got things like TV commercials. And I talked about this way back in the day when Diet Coke did it first. I mean, Diet Coke had this commercial with Elton John talking about Diet Coke. And Louis Armstrong's there and Humphrey Bogart's there and Jimmy Cagney's in it and... and I remember at the time thinking, this is a bad idea. Why are they doing that? I mean, obviously, the estates didn't have any problem with it or else they wouldn't be in there. And, and then you had uh, uh, John Wayne showing up in a beer commercial. You know, these people are dead. But, but now you can go back and I can scan, we can scan all of these different images of John Wayne and some you know maybe his his grandson Brendan becomes the body and we put John Wayne's face on a brand new performance and then we have software like Respeecher which can take samples of a person's voice and yeah. somebody can take like say if I'm recording well they're doing it now with James Earl Jones you know James Earl Jones records brand new dialogue for Obi-Wan Kenobi he's 95 years old he doesn't sound the same as he did in 1976 but Respeecher can go in and say, okay, this is what he sounds like at 95. This is what he sounded like at 1976. We're going to scrub this new stuff to sound like this old stuff. Yeah, I understand that even Val Kilmer, and I don't, I'm, I'm assuming it was Top Gun, where they, they did some voice processing of, of his voice. Yeah. Uh, there's been other documentaries I'm aware of, too, where they've done it to simulate as if that person is narrating, they're deceased, you know, but they're narrating something. Uh, or they're reading their own letters that they wrote 50 years ago, but yeah. it's really just AI simulation. This to me is uh, incredibly scary. It, it's really neat and everything, right? You can make some really cool movies and documentaries and so forth. Yeah. But the the level of deep fake is and will continue to be really indistinguishable between real humans. And I think th this is quite frankly just why I have devoted in the last couple of years, and especially now where I'm focusing all my research on this topic, it's the issue of transparency and um, around the risk of, of AI that's used when it's interacting with people, because I'm deeply concerned about this, that we're going to have some serious problems in the years ahead. And also the question here isn't about AI becoming you know, like Skynet, where it becomes conscious and it takes over. I think that is a concern, but I think the bigger concern here are other actors doing that, using the AI to some advantage, yeah. whether it's governments, um, big corporations, which I think we already are. I mean, quite frankly, we are. I mean, let's let's face it. This this issue with Elon Musk purchasing Twitter has highlighted it already. Sure. That Twitter was using bots to manipulate users of Twitter. So therefore, it's using a form of AI to manipulate the consciousness of people. Well, and, and fa Facebook doing the same thing. Yeah, but you know, as as much as the focus has been on the this Blake Lemoyne guy, here's another Google engineer 
and this is uh, this is an article in the Economist. This is June 9th, so this just came out here not too long ago. This actually before all of this other kerfuffle. He says uh, the headline here: Artificial neural networks are making strides toward consciousness, according to Blaise Aguera Arcus. He's an engineer at Google. It's a, he's a vice president at Google, so he's not low man on the totem pole here. This guy's pretty high up in the hierarchy. And he's talking about the interactions that he's had with this same Google AI. And he's convinced that we're on the cusp of some kind of consciousness, some kind of, you know, the next step in our evolution type of thing. And, you know, the older I get, the more I look at this and I think this is really... Yeah, Star Trek is all nice and well and good and, and everything, but it's fiction and it probably should stay that way. And that cabin in the woods is starting to look a whole lot better the older I get. You know, because... <laughs> Doing <it>, me both. <laughs> but you're right. You, you know, the AI, let's say the AI gains, gains some kind of consciousness or ability to think for itself. It becomes self-aware. It starts to decide, well, maybe, you know, like you say, it's going to send out the emails that are the nasty letters... Only now, instead of that, we'll take the the deep fake and we'll create these videos where some government leader says this and some government leader says this, and now we're on the brink of World War III because, you know, Joshua says, shall we play a game? And, you know, we load up global thermonuclear war. You know, it's, it's not the stuff of movies anymore, and that's a scary uh. thing for me. Yeah, me too. I, I think about it every day, actually. And in many ways, I'm surprised that it worse hasn't already happened to us or, or maybe we're maybe we're heading right into it, you know, but um, I'm very concerned about this and I'm very concerned about how AI can be used again to manipulate people, whether it's individuals or entire parts of society. And as I said, it already is being used to manipulate us. Right. But what about the sort of next level of it where it is it is used to target individuals again through deep fakes through other ways of controlling people i'm deeply concerned about this and i wanted to make this point you were talking about you know the the, the cabin in the woods and we, we we talked about you know the star wars analogies and so forth you know obi-wan kenobi that that was the whole thing about that character was that he realized how much power he had and so he had a, that's why he became a hermit he just sort of re retreated into his cabin in the woods, if you will, because of the the power that he wields, and um, well, certainly Luke did in the the later movies. Yeah, right. Yeah, we don't talk about but, that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it's this idea of you know, with technology as it has been with other technologies, like like nuclear technology. You know, once once you bring it into the world, it doesn't go away. You yeah. have to find ways of controlling it and setting rules around its use and so forth. That certainly doesn't mean there, there aren't going to be rogue uses of it or uses of it by those in power who will justify it and how they shall justify it. But once that technology is here, it's here. And it, it's it's always interesting to me, like when these big companies or Elon Musk, for example, who speaks about AI quite often and has concerns about it, but is continuing to develop it. So, you can, well, is that, you know, in some way uh, hypocritical to sp speak of the concerns, but develop it? I, I don't think so. I think that the technology is going to be developed anyway. Right. And that while we're developing, we have to be very aware 
of what these risks are and have open conversations about these risks like we are today, Jason, because it's going to be developed anyway. And if one person doesn't do it, someone else is or some other country is going to do it or some other actors. Yeah. And so uh, that's, that's why, I, again, I'm devoting my research really to this transparency issue and the, the ethics and morals around AI because I see this as such a huge issue in our society that is probably bigger than we're, we're even imagining. Well, and I think, too, the, the discussion around this particular issue, uh, it's interesting to see the reactions to it because you have regular, everyday, ordinary Joe Schmo people like, like us who are looking at this and they oh Google Google became sentient what happened you know they're they're seeing Google and sentient in the in the same sentence and you're leading to a conclusion there but then you have all of the me- the media uh, and their reactions and how much they're they're you know putting this down and poo poo and oh it's not really what it is and whatever and I want to get into that here but first of all we're going to take a real quick break. And then on the other side of it, we're going to get into the media spin uh, off of this uh, right after this, continuing our discussion with David Luxton. Stand by. Broadcasting from a device built by a teenage genius using leftover parts from an erector set, this is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. And um, I did read a fun review where someone was like, you know, I consider this film is, it's all in her head. And they put forth their reasons why none of this is actually happening because she runs around the film a lot covered in blood and nobody reacts i know i know foreign bodies saturday at 1 p.m eastern only on sci-fi for me tv good morning multiverse saturday morning at 11 10 central only on sci-fi for me tv Back live from the bunker, Jason Hutt here along with David Luxton, who is a psychologist and an author and a musician. Uh, Full disclosure, David composed the score to our adaptation of the statement of Randolph Carter, uh, which is out there in the the ether. You can find that everywhere. so David, let me let me ask you this uh, because we've got now we've had enough time for the media spin to happen. Here's here's MSN. The transcript used as evidence that a Google AI was sent in was edited and rearranged to make it enjoyable to read. Apparently, this story basically says there were a number of conversations that Lemoyne had with this chatbot. And the transcript that we've got out there, apparently, they're saying, is an edited thing to tell a story and not exactly prove the point that he's trying to make. Does this seem like spin at this point? Because here's, uh, here's, uh, let's see, where is it? This is CNN Business. No, Google's AI is not sentient. This is Rachel Metz at CNN Business. Uh, You've got the Atlantic basically saying Google's sentient chatbot is our self-deceiving future. I mean, there's all this spin basically saying, ah, no, this is nothing. But the amount of he doth protest too much 
kind of starts getting in here with this and and the the mainstream media as they're called doesn't really have a a good track record right now in terms of trust so, so i look at all of this and they say ah oh, no this is just a flight of fancy this is nothing and i start to think that there might actually be something to this yeah well two things one i don't trust the mainstream media really at all <laughs> i always take anything that they're saying with a grain of salt i have the enough wisdom and intelligence to at least know that Maybe I can't trust them and I should read more. So that's what I do. I try to understand issues looking from different perspectives to make sure I understand it. Um, it's very, it's increasingly difficult to do these days with all the information that we're just blasted with all the time and it gets funneled down into what, what they want you to believe, right? Right. So I recommend reading, read deeper. Uh, the other part of this though, is you're right on it, is, is the trust issue and that you know, we can we necessarily trust what they're saying? Is there some other kind of motive with all this? I think is what you're getting at, Jason. And I think possibly so that um, part of it is just to get web hits and people to read their content for advertising. So you you have to have some opposition to something to get controversy to right that gets yep, hits. Yeah. But the other thing here though is back to what we we're talking about early on is really how you define a sentient being. Is it sentient or not? Well, it's sim- certainly simulating it. So in that sense, as we talked about before, it depends how you define it. So I think it is sentient in the sense of how you define it. So if it's if it's aware of its environment, it's acting with empathy, it's acting very human-like, it seems to have feelings and emotions because it's simulating them so so darn well, yeah. then in that sense, it meets the definition. But that doesn't make it a person. Well, and, and I'm wondering if, if we're looking at a situation here of, uh, of a difference that makes no difference is no difference. Because if it's acting emulating sentience i mean if i have enough information i can bluff my way through a conversation about neurosurgery for example i don't have any background in neurosurgery i don't know anything about it i know it exists i know it's a field i know it's medical i know it involves cutting into the brain you know but if i do enough homework i can emulate knowledge of neurosurgery and neuroscience enough to maybe hold my own in a conversation, especially if I'm doing an interview. I'm always doing research to prepare for interviews. So I can emulate expertise, same as this algorithm could emulate sentience. So whether it's actually sentient or not, we still have the same problem, the same concern of what it could do with that. Right? Absolutely. Okay. I, I want yeah. to make sure that I'm on the right wag the dog, oh my God, oh my God page. <laughs> so. well, well, what happens is like you read these articles that were in the last couple of days, it's like it's not sentient. Well, it, this is you're just making controversy because you're, you're absolutely right. It's simulating it. And so it has impact. It has, there's something very serious about you, this technology and how, it's, how people in the world are going to interact with it, how it's going to be used to manipulate people, control people. Um, and, and how it may be used for good, but also for we call dual use for uh, for other purposes. And uh, not to keep pushing my, my book here, but I'm going to again, because that's why I wrote this stupid thing behind the machine, because in this book, they're using deep fakes AI to torture people, to, to manipulate someone to gaslight them. Because think about you talked about before simulating someone who's deceased. Yeah. So what happens when the government or someone, you know, some entity, some actor wants to manipulate you? And uh, they create something that shows up that is it is your deceased relative and it's telling you to do things as if you're completely psychotic. 
Well, and not only that, but, <clears throat> you know, uh, we've seen in the social media sphere, uh, you know, this idea of digging up old tweets and old posts from 10, 15, 20 years ago in order to cancel people now and say, you know, shut, shut down their career and their reputation and, and all of this. And if Elon Musk is, is right about Twitter being more full of bots and AI than we originally thought and more than what Twitter has actually even disclosed, if we're, we're talking 20, 25% instead of 5%, how much of the cancel culture is AI algorithms going back through and just scrubbing through old posts. I mean, who's got the time to dig through somebody's social media going back 10, 15 years to find that one thing that just happens to still be there that we can, aha, gotcha. Well, I actually heard a discussion about this recently with, with Elon Musk's move to purchase Twitter that Elon Musk actually does have the tools, AI, mm -hmm. to basically do this kind of like a forensic analysis of what Twitter has done over the years and to address the very question you have. And so I think it is possible to shed light on how this system works or has worked, this particular social media system, uh, their own policies and how that sort of played out. Yeah. I think, uh, hey, I'd love to see the, the information from a, a forensic analysis of their algorithms. Absolutely. Why yeah. not? That's, that's transparency. That's, that's to me yeah. is a good thing. <laughs> If they're saying one we're thing not, that something is open and, we're not supposed and to free about, and it's we're not supposed for expression, but they're not doing that, yeah, that's not, some scary we're stuff. We're not supposed to talk about that. <laughs> oh. Right? I mean, every every time anybody wants to have an open conversation about this stuff, whatever the topic is, whether it's political or, or social media or whatever, if you have the wrong opinion, we're not allowed to have a debate. We're not allowed to have a discussion. You either agree with me or we or we destroy you, basically. I mean, you look at what they tried to do with Gina Carano, for example, or or anybody in the political space. Um, uh, Brandon, whatever his name is, that had the, the walk-away movement, you know, calling people to, to walk away from the Democrat Party. All of these, you know, the, uh, James Damore, out of Google, Basically saying, yeah, well, you know, there are differences between men and women, and all of our studies say that women aren't interested in this stuff. And how dare he? And, you know, they slime him and smear him on the way out the door. And, you know, all of this media coverage is basically talking about how terrible a person he is without addressing the point that he made. We're not allowed to have those conversations, but I think this is going to become a thing where we are going to be seeing more of this because here we go here in the New York Post. You've got an MIT professor saying Alexa could go this direction as well. And this is one of the reasons why I've never had an Alexa in our in, in my home, nor do I plan to. I mean, I don't use Alexa. I don't use Siri. I don't use any of these voice command interactive programs and stuff none of my tvs have have video cameras in them at least i'm not aware that they do but this is uh this is from uh june 13th michael kaplan the writer and he says uh down here um what's the name max tegmark mit professor of physics with a focus on machine learning does not write off lemoyne as a crackpot He's basically saying there might be something to this. I haven't had time to look at, in, deep into this article, 
But just from the headline, and you got this guy sitting there saying, maybe. So we pull all of our surveillance devices out of our homes when? <laughs> well, I don't have any of those things turned on either. I, I would not, I do not use any of those audio devices like that um, for these reasons. Uh, you don't know what it's doing. Yeah. yeah. For Lauren says, I for one welcome our AI overlords. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and and this is one of the things when uh, when we when we first set up emails for our website, uh, the original server we, it was all through Google.com. We had Gmail accounts set up, but we've got SciFiForMe.com email addresses that are now hosted on the same place as our site. But originally they were hosted on the Google server. And when we first tar started talking about moving our site off of WordPress as a host and finding our own hosting platform, one of the things we discussed was, was HostGator as an option for that. And it wasn't 10, 15 minutes later after that conversation happened by email that I started seeing advertisements for HostGator popping up in all my socials. And... Uh, this this little thing right here is probably one of the most insidious surveillance devices that we have in our lives now. And yep. you know, I'm like, I I want to turn the whole thing off. I just I, w I want to go back to the flip phone, which is just get just a phone. You know, but we've got all these devices everywhere. We get Fitbits and smartwatches and iPads and 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 Alexa and Siri and. It's everywhere. I don't think I don't think we can get away from it. Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, the the government, if you will, they're, they're basically forcing you into using the technology to participate in society, right? For for banking or right. or or they're making it way inconvenient if you don't use it, right? Um, so I share the same concerns about it, and um, I think often, you know, was I happier years ago when we didn't have all this technology and social media that I am now, maybe so. Like, I don't know if it makes me any happier uh, to have this technology. In some ways, it, it, it makes things nice and convenient and cool. Uh, being able to do a podcast like this and to be live and talking, you know, across the country is pretty awesome. Yeah. But at the same time, there's a flip side to this technology. And going back to what we we're talking about before, the concerns about the AI itself doing something bad on its own, on its own volition, you know, that's a concern. But for me, the concern is really what's behind the machine. Yeah. Who is really controlling? Who's pulling the strings? Who's going to use the technology for their own gain and their own objectives and not being transparent about it? That is my biggest concern. And for all the the good press that we want to give Elon Musk over his idea, you know, his his emphasis on transparency and, and free speech and all of this. You know, many many makes a point there about the self-driving cars. We're starting to see now stories, and it it could very well be part of the smear campaign that he predicted because he's coming out now against Democrats and he's like, y you know, they're going to come after me now. But you have the stories now about the self-driving Teslas, where if they're in an accident, the self-driving AI shuts itself off about a second before impact. So now they can go through the black box data and say, well, self-driving wasn't on when the accident occurred. So we're not responsible. And who's to say that you couldn't get a self-aware, a, a self sentient so-called AI 
that's doing all of these self-driving cars. And I don't like what you tweeted yesterday. I'm going to slam you into the back of an 18-wheeler. And, oh, no, we'll turn the self-driving off right before impact. Yeah. I mean, not to put nefarious motives behind every AI, but we've seen these stories. They don't end well. Yeah, that's right. So the question is, again, what are the these I, mean, I use the term actors, whether they're part of a formal part of government or foreign actors or uh, some kind of group, you know, who has access or control of the technology, how they can use this technology against individuals or groups of people or the general population. Um, I think we could come up with a million ways that they could do that using AI technology. Yeah. Because we're already seeing it. We're already seeing it with the, how social media works. Well, and there's other people that have concerns. Not, not, to, not to say that everybody in the media is putting a spin on it, that this is no big deal. We're, this is a story uh, out of Bloomberg, um, published on June 14th. Davy Alba, the author, headlined, Google debate over sentient bots overshadows deeper artificial intelligence issues. And you get down in here through the article, Emily Bender uh, a professor of computational linguistics at the University of Washington says lots of effort has been put into this sideshow. The problem is the more this technology gets sold as artificial intelligence, let alone something sentient, the more people are willing to go along with AI systems that can cause real world harm. Are we doing this to ourselves then? Is that is that what it seems like she's saying here? Is it because I've seen the I've seen the comment in a couple of other places too. What does it say about us as a as a people that we're so willing to accept the notion that this thing could be sentient in the first place? Yeah, well, I think I think there is some deeper psychological things at play here. And, and I think that's how these systems are so manipulative is because it is all about psychology. It's there, there's stuff about being human that makes us uniquely human and also part of a, you know an animal uh, the animal kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. We have animal characteristics too, but we have something else that makes us human. And these things that make us human are being emulated by machines. And those are the things that are really going to manipulate us because we feel empathy. I think that this Google engineer was having feelings as he was interacting with this thing, right? So right. he's experiencing emotions and feelings. And so therefore he is being manipulated by these algorithms to experience these very human things that you can't, wouldn't fault him for. And now let me just say this, that this isn't a new phenomena at all. This has been talked about in science fiction or shown in science fiction for, well, certainly more than 70 years. I mean, going back to Frankenstein, I suppose, uh, yeah. Shelley and Frankenstein, but also the very famous computer scientist, Joseph Weizenbaum, who is the inventor of the ELISA program, which was in the doctor program, which was the first real chatbot that was kind of tested. And he observed his office staff interacting with it and wanting time alone with it so it could converse with it and experiencing emotions, yelling at it. This was in the 1960s. Yeah. And that was a very simple chatbot. That wasn't anything like this system that Google has. But nonetheless, people experience emotions when they interact with it because it you suspend anything else that it's not that it's a machine. You feel it's a human. Right. And so this this problem of, 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 of getting at what makes us human by the machine doing so and those behind the machine knowing that and using it in such a way to manipulate us is of grave concern of mine. Yeah. 
Well, and and there's the there's the other part of it too, where um, and I and I can't I can't think of the guy's name right off the top of my head. The the negative reinforcement experiments, basically, where you know the crowd is trained to attack a particular person in the group, right? You have these simulators, and I can't remember the exact name of it. You you probably are familiar with what I'm talking about. But, you know, where people are conditioned, and there's my, my red light on my stuff. When we start talking about the weird things, we start buffering. Um, that That is pure happenstance, I'm sure. But mm. where p- people are conditioned to go along with the group in or you know that whole get along you know go along to get along type of thing where yes i will join the mob yes i will go after this one person because everybody else has decided that this person is a target what if the algorithm does the same kind of thing i mean you know we, we've already talked about the the nasty emails that it sends does does that indicate based on its experience with humanity that it leans toward negative behavior, evil behavior, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, aggressive behavior, simply because that sees what everybody else is doing is, okay, well, that's what society is doing. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I like this question. So, it's, so if AI is observing, this is kind of a thought experiment. So if AI is observing what humans are doing, you know, on the Internet, on social media, just in, in our own history, certainly in, in modern times, especially now, and it's looking at that and it's saying, well, okay, this is, is learning has bad teachers. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of good teaching too, and a lot of good to, to learn. And so this plays out in science fiction all the time, right? Where, where AI, is it going to be evil or is it going to be something good that brings something good to humanity? And I think that it can, I, and I think, I think it does in many ways that it does bring something good as a tool right. for helping us to, to find um solutions to problems absolutely i think it can help people who are lonely feel less lonely i think it certainly can do things which i think has some positive aspects too absolutely but there's a saying it's actually not a saying it's from matthew seven fifteen. like beware of uh, prophets false prophets you know that show up as sheep but they're really wolves right right, right. and so i think we got to be very smart about this and that's why again this issue of trust transparency ethics and morals of this, these things have to be paramount in discussions. We should not be censored for talking about this stuff by any means, because this will be used for bad. It will be used for evil purposes, no doubt, because there's evil and good in the world. And history tells us so, right? Tools always get used in in, uh, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. Yeah. Mindy Mindy points out it was B.F. Skinner doing those experiments, I think. Is that that's that's the that what you found? Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Psychologist. So what what happens next, do you think? Where does this conversation... Because I don't think this conversation is going to go away. I mean, it's certainly it's just this little blip in the radar, and, and we're looking at this. We're not looking at something else. I mean, it's obviously a distraction for something, but where does this conversation go next? I mean, the, the ethics of it, the conversations about the ethics, are there enough people out there uh, in your field... And in the in the realm of artificial intelligence and computer programming and everything, where this conversation is actually happening at a deeper level, at a more intense, 
you know, we must have some more scrutiny on this and transparency, or is this just the beginning of this? There's been, you know, researchers, philosophers, people talking about this for, as I said, decades, really. And I think more so in the last 10 years. And there are, I'm involved in some work specifically on this to help generate some standards around this about the transparency issue and trust issue. And this is where we need to be. We need to be having these discussions. We need to be really thinking about how we set controls, uh, ways to protect the public, to notify the public about risks and so forth. These are things that we must address. And we're going to be seeing more and more of this over the next few years. I think it more and more will become mainstream. And you know, the thing, Jason, is that when technology, we, we see technology now, it's really kind of the technology of maybe five years ago, but there's the technology that's about to come out yeah. that we haven't quite seen yet. That's, that's emerging that's behind, you know, closed doors or in labs, or that's about to come out. And I think as many people are talking about, it's going to be revolutionary. It already is. I think it's going to be increasingly so. And I think it, as they talk about this sort of exponential increase of AI and moving towards a singularity and all this and that, I think that, um, we are going to come upon if we don't destroy ourselves in the next, you know, before then, um, with world war three here, um, that we will we will see a really a complete change of our society because of it and a focus on these ethics and moral issues related to it like we, we haven't seen yet. Yeah, the other concern is how deeply integrated the machines are in our everyday lives. We talked about this a little bit before. And you you look at, back in high school, a friend of mine and I had an idea about us. We had an idea for a story. I never wrote it. We should have where uh, a, a group of astronauts goes out to you know, Jupiter, Titan, Saturn, wherever, and they bring back a bug. They bring back uh, a, a, an organism that eats away at components that are used in computers, silicone or copper. You know, what, if you find, find the thing, it eats away at it, and suddenly all of the computers in, in, in society are on the fritz. You look at how much we depend on these machines, not just for communication like we're doing here, like we talk about, and broadcasting to YouTube and, and communicating on social media and email and, and that kind of thing, but banking and point-of-sale systems and GPS and uh, archiving material and photography. I mean, who, who, ta- who, takes, who takes photos with film anymore? You know, everything's digital now. Everything's in the cloud. All of these things. If if the AI were to get to a point where we have to pull the plug, we've got to pull the plug on everything. And then what happens to society? Because we don't know how, you know, as a society, humanity has lost so many skills because we've become so dependent on just ping, 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 push a button and it's done. Yeah, well, I had a thought related to this the other day. It was just terrifying. So everything is moving to digital, right? So books, um, everything about your life is is digital. Photos is a big one. Photo videos, everything. So imagine now in the future, everything's digital. Everything's you know on networks, and then the an AI comes along, whether it's doing it on its own volition or it's being you know controlled by someone else, some other actor, that it decides to rewrite everything. So everything that we've ever known to be true in our own experiences is just completely rewritten. It's probably an episode of Black Mirror, but um, <laughs> seriously, think yeah. about it, like how it could completely manipulate us. 
yeah and to destroy everything that we've we've known to be true in our own experience as humanity in a some new reality yeah we've me, always been at war with east asia right <laughs> exactly yeah right yeah the ministry of truth well you know and you, and you look at some of the some of the first efforts on that to rewrite history oh no that's that's not how that happened you know, we yeah, see right. it. With, we see it with nine eleven. We see it with GamerGate. We see it with a lot of different things. You know, oh, you know, fandom with Star Wars. Well, everybody hated the prequel trilogy. You know, and and now, you know, hang on, I was there. <laughs> you know, and you have these people. But you're right. As we get further out from a particular event, the people who were there who experienced it, or people who had firsthand knowledge of it, whether it was through media reports or they knew somebody was there or whatnot, you know, World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, Korea, the further out we get, the fewer people there are who can correct the record if something is written somewhere. I mean, look at look at how much Wikipedia gets abused. Anybody can go oh, in yeah. there and they can put anything about anybody in those things. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't see this going well. <laughs> I, you know, no matter how you look at it, whether the thing is sentient or not, whether it gains consciousness or not, I think we're in a death spiral here, personally. I mean, not, not to black pill it, it completely, but I, there's a reason why I, I'm, I'm a big advocate for physical media, and I guess I should be more vocal about that, but the, the idea of having your stuff on dvds and print your pictures out and you know put there's value to the photo albums but have your have your dvds have your albums have your records your your cassette tapes or whatever and don't rely so much i hate the cloud the idea of the cloud just gives me the willies i don't use it i don't use it for my personal stuff i'll use it for work collaborative stuff but i won't use it for personal at all yeah. for those very reasons but you know i'm, I'm like yeah, you know, cabin in the woods. It's looking a lot better now. Mindy doesn't think that I'd survive a day without my without my internet. If I make the decision consciously to go and do it, and it's my decision, I'm burying the phone somewhere in Arizona so it thinks that I'm someplace else that I'm not. I mean, that's that's where I'm at. So. I don't know. What's what's the next step in in this conversation, though? What what are the questions that need to be asked at this point? Now that this this door has been kicked open by this story here, what's the what's the question that has to be asked in order to move it forward? Yeah, I think going back to the, this issue of trust and transparency and and attention of the public on these issues, and, and to like we need the attention on it. And we need to have open debate about it. And I think there there needs to be some, if not guidance, maybe some some rules, laws are, are regarding it. And, and these are emerging issues and that they will need to be addressed in some way to protect the public, I think. And um, I think that's going to be a big part of the, the conversation going forward. And, you know, and I always wonder about sort of the unknowns, you know, like the, the things that maybe we haven't fully thought of, or maybe it's somewhere in, in an old science fiction film or something, but there's, there's something that we haven't quite thought of about all this, you know, and right. what happens to like when you have competing AIs, these, these deep learning, you know, AIs. And so one company's got one, another company, and they go to, they go to battle with each other or something, right? <laughs> I don't know. Sort of these titans of AI, um, these kinds of things, who, who knows, but, um, I don't know. There, there, there's a there's a big um, I feel it a 
kind of a shift to thinking more inward and about who we are as a society, um, our values, our sense of a spiritual sense in these things. And I think there's a, a big move to try to pull us away from all that. And, yeah. and you see it. I mean, you see it with when they when your when your speech is suppressed on very co common topics that we could talk about 10 years ago or 20 years ago, <laughs> and they're suppressing it. Like, why are they trying to control your mind? Yeah. trying to control you and they being you typically it's it always is who's ever in power or wants to remain in power right and so this is a, a concern but I, I do think that there is a a much i call it an awakening all these kinds of things we call it the fourth turning uh that there is something that's that is happening here that's much larger than what we may see you know on a facebook or a, a twitter feed or whatever yeah that there's something bigger that's happening and we when we really find it within ourselves what that is and what you feel on the inside. Uh, the book uh, specifically around this, Behind the Machine, davidluxton.com is where you can find more information about him and his work. And uh, you're also on Twitter. David D. Luxton is the handle there. We've got links to both of those in our notes. If anybody wants to uh, explore this a little bit further on his site where else could people go and find information on this debate where where would you recommend that people uh start to look at this yeah i mean i do have some references on my website davidluxton.com you can find some references in there certainly like articles like i've written about the ethics of some of this but honestly any any kind of uh i gotta say it google search it <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, you, you'll find all kinds of, and, and a lot of organizations are are paying attention to this. You know, like, like for example, the World Health Organization has a some guidelines. You know, they had a, a work group on this, and they have guidelines about AI and, and public health and so forth, and guiding principles. A number of engineering groups and other organizations have done just that. They've mm -hmm. they've had meetings and discussed the issues, and they make present guidelines. So, a lot of discussion out there about it. Uh, and as I said, really this is the thing is it's ai and its impact on society and it is it a emerging issue that's here now but it's going to be in our face big time in the coming years here and we need to have the discussions now yeah all right well i have your book uh it is in the pile i'm going to move it up uh, a little bit further ahead in the queue because this has got me uh, not worried so much, but concerned, and so I'll I'll start I'll start looking into that as well. And of course, I I'm sure that we'll have this conversation another another conversation like this at some point. David Luxton, thanks very much for being here, sir. My pleasure, Jason. And thanks. Thank you to everybody here who uh, who has here uh, live. If you're uh, here in replay, you can also leave us a comment. You can send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me com. A uh, couple of a uh, couple of programming notes we do have coming up to uh, well tonight yeah where is it this one here um, this one coming up tonight a simulcast with Critical Blast uh, we are going to do an experiment here uh, Howard Scott Warshaw has written a book called Once Upon Atari. And uh, R.J. Carter is going to be interviewing him. We're going to simulcast this on our channel and the Critical Blast channel. This is the guy who killed the video game industry when he designed E.T., I think, is, is, the, uh, is the angle there. So we're going to be talking to him tonight at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, both here and on the Critical Blast channel. 
so you can tune in uh, one or the other. And, of course, you can always connect with us on all the different social media uh, channels because we're out there. We probably shouldn't be, but there we are. All right, that's that's going to do it for us today, folks. Thanks very much. Remember, they want you to think there are five lights, but there are only four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.